Sands My Why Audio Blog. The season of November. Well, it's finally here. November. I think I'll start by reminding you what I've said about this month in previous season blogs in this series. In May, I mentioned it as dreary November. In June, I said being stuck in June is definitely better than being stuck in November. In July, I mentioned that in our family, we have at least one birthday every month of the year, except November. And I remarked, we've all managed to escape that dark month. In October, I mentioned that Halloween only makes it into October by the skin of its teeth. And if I had my way, I'd dropkick it into dreary old November. However, as with all these season blogs, I try to stay impartial and just see where I am in life as they come around. Sometimes they surprise me and I find myself in a much more enjoyable place than I expected. Sometimes it goes the other way and I find myself not in a great place for a month that I fully anticipated I'd enjoy. So who knows where this blog about November will take me. But before I get too judgmental about November, let's take a look at what we actually know about the month. November is now the 11th month of the calendar, the penultimate month of the year, the fourth and last month to have only 30 days in it, and the fifth and last month to have fewer than 31 days, because of February's short-lived experience. In Latin, novem means nine, so it used to be the ninth month. But as we've heard about with previous months, that got shifted along when January and February entered the mix for the Roman calendar. Why they couldn't have just renamed them all then and there to save us a lot of hassle, I don't know. In the Northern Hemisphere, it's considered as late autumn. And in the Garden Year poem by Sarah Coleridge, she says... Dull November brings the blast, then the leaves are whirling fast. But in the Southern Hemisphere, it's late spring. Lucky them. That's the equivalent of our May. And it feels really weird to me to think of people associating May weather over here with the month of November. So while they're dusting off the barbecues and growing flowers for inside the house, we're digging out the knitted blankets and hats and lighting candles. In fact, those of you in the Southern Hemisphere might want to listen to my May blog instead this month. This is all just another reminder to me that our small corner is such a tiny part of what's going on in the world as a whole. In England, it's the first month to start after the clocks go back an hour, back to standard time, rather than daylight saving time, which means we enter the month with much darker evenings. Currently, Google is telling me the sun will set today in my area at 4.41pm, which feels very strange when not long back we were drawing the curtains at 7.30, and not long before that it was still light at 10pm. This results in many Brits walking around trying to comprehend just how dark it gets at 5pm and telling each other, do you know, it was dark when I left work today, as if it's never happened before. For those of you in countries where this change doesn't happen, it's probably strange to imagine, but equally you never get fully used to it. You know the sun will be around for longer or shorter times throughout the year, but you just never get to the point where it isn't a bit weird. To think that so many of us are experiencing different seasons, different times, different daylight hours across the world is fascinating to me. Near the equator, in places like Kenya, they get 12 hours of daylight all year. The sun pretty much rises at 6am, sets at 6pm, shifting only by mere minutes between summer and winter. We had some Kenyans stay with us a few years ago, and the thing that fascinated them the most, apart from the robots that milked the cows at a friend's farm, was that it was still light at 9pm. Parts of northern Norway located in the Arctic Circle, see up to 19 hours of daylight in the summer, and in the winter, the night can last for 18 hours, where they experience something called the midnight sun, where the sun is low on the horizon but doesn't fully set. And further north, it can get even more extreme than that, 
Also, depending on how far you are from the equator dictates how long the sunset takes. So a sunset near the equator only lasts around 20 minutes, but in Norway it can be up to 75 minutes. A few more things there to add to my bucket list to experience one day. What's really spooky is that I'd already written up to this point in the blog when I started looking for quotes about November and I came across this one by Emily Dickinson. November always seems to me the Norway of the year. Now, I didn't hang around to find out what that quote exactly meant, but it was so spooky I thought it needed mentioning. So there's the potential in the Northern Hemisphere for November to have a lot going against it. It's the start of things getting very dark, sunlight-wise. Its entry comes through Halloween night, when everything's a bit dark spiritually and in the vegetable world. Pumpkins. The weather is often pretty grey and wet here in England, so it really reminds you with a thump that summer is over. Autumn is now just about leaf clearing, and winter is well on its way. Today, as I record this, I'm shutting out wind noise instead of children playing outside. Annette Wynne said in her poem, November, No matter how hard you try, old crying wind, you cannot make us cry. You make the poor leaves sorry, very, but we shall keep on being merry. It's good, it's true, not all the months behave like you, blowing mean and blowing cold. She does come around to liking it afterwards because it's about Thanksgiving as well, and she does finish it off with, and so, cold old month, you're not so bad. But it's still not a glowing endorsement. It's also the only month of the year in the UK, I can't speak for other countries, when there are no school holidays and teachers have to work a whole month just like everyone else. That comment will get me in trouble with someone somewhere. Also, Christmas starts to arrive. And if you live with a die-hard Christmas-belongs-in-December man like I do, that evokes a lot of bar humbuggy type comments. We went to the garden centre near us at the end of October, only to be greeted by the full Christmas display and the selling of Christmas trees which I have to admit was a little early even for me. Although I do have a very good friend that breaks into the mince pies as early as they're available, much to her delight and Chris's disgust. November's birthstone is the topaz, which is a symbol of strength and honour. And I do feel like November is a strong month. I feel like no one is pushing November around, and if you met him in a dark alley at night, well, he's not going to be the one limping out the other side. Anne Bosworth Green said, November at its best with a sort of delightful menace in the air. It's also the month for Movember, giving us all images of men attempting to grow moustaches throughout the month for charity, images that most of us would rather not have seen. And it has two star signs, Scorpio and Sagittarius. Elsewhere in the world, November is the month where they celebrate Thanksgiving in the US and the Day of the Dead in Mexico, which, much as it sounds scary and morbid, is actually a great time of celebration for those that have gone before. In ancient Europe, pagan celebrations of the dead also used to take place in autumn. Some of these customs survived and the Roman Catholic Church adopted them into their celebrations as All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Though my experience of those is less celebration, colour and dancing. And if you want to learn more about Day of the Dead, or Day of the Dad as it says here on my notes, I thoroughly recommend the Pixar film Coco. In the UK we have Guy Fawkes Night, or Bonfire Night, or Fireworks Night as it's called, on the 5th of November where, for some reason, we celebrate treason and plot. Well, the foiling of those things, to be exact. Basically, some naughty men tried to blow up the House of Lords and were caught, and then people lit bonfires to celebrate around London, and it became an annual public day of thanksgiving for the plot's failure. I'm not sure many people remember the origins of it now, so much as enjoying the fireworks that we've introduced, and moaning about loud bangs and the effect on their pets. The other day that's nationally observed in the UK is Remembrance Day, on the 11th of November. This is also known as Poppy Day, 
and I can't really hear that or think about it now without thinking of Katie Joy Duke from episode 25. Check out that episode for more on why. For those not familiar with this, it's a day when we remember the First World War when they ceased hostilities at 11am on the 11th of the 11th month in 1918. And yes, it would have been cool if that had been 1911. We now remember all the lives that are lost or affected by war, whether in the world wars or in more recent conflicts, through a two-minute silence at 11am. We also observe it in churches and services on the nearest Sunday, which is also known as Remembrance Sunday. Already we're seeing people wear poppies, they're displayed in towns and villages and all the professional people on TV will be wearing them as well. And the reason we use poppies is because they're the flower that grew up across the battlefields after World War I ended. And that's one of the more lovely sides to November. It turns out that November has some pretty weighty stuff in it. Remembering the dead, being thankful we're alive, and the men with moustaches of course. And I'm clearly not the first to notice this because there are numerous poems about November. I couldn't even work out which ones to use, they were all so beautiful in how they described the virtues and the loss that November carries. L.M. Montgomery was an author who came up a few times when I was looking at November. She seems to have a liking for it, and I noticed that she was born in that month as well. In her book, Anne of Windy Poplars, she wrote this. But there is always a November space after the leaves have fallen, when she felt it was almost indecent to intrude on the woods. For their glory terrestrial had departed, and their glory celestial of spirit and purity and whiteness had not yet come upon them. And then in Anne of Green Gables, she writes, It was November, the month of crimson sunsets, parting birds, deep, sad hymns of the sea, passionate wind songs in the pines. Anne roamed through the pineland alleys in the park, and, as she said, let that great sweeping wind blow the fogs out of her soul. Again, there's this weightiness to this imagery. Either that November contains this sacred, vulnerable space in the wood between losing all its leaves and awaiting the covering of snow, or there's a sadness to it with parting birds and sad hymns of the sea. I particularly love how she talks of passionate wind songs. Our house is sort of on a corner of our estate that leaves it more exposed to the wind than you'd imagine. So when it's really windy at night, our bedroom especially takes the full force and makes it sound a lot worse than it actually is outside. I used to feel cosy and warm when the weather was roaring, but when my hormones caused bouts of anxiety, I found myself troubled by it, almost as if it was whirring through my head instead of just through the gaps in the window. It felt aggressive and threatening. But through this description, I love the idea of turning that around to see the persistent November weather, the rain, the grey clouds and the wind, as passionate. Ardent, fervent, zealous, eager, intense, fiery. John Clare's poem, November, describes it like this. Sibyl of months and worshipper of winds, I love thee, rude and boisterous as thou art, and scraps of joy my wandering ever finds, Mid thy uproarious madness, when the start of sudden tempest stirs the forest leaves into hoarse fury, till the shower set free stills the huge swells, then ebb the mighty heaves that sway the forest like a troubled sea. I love thy wizard noise and rave in turn, half vacant thoughts and rhymes of careless form, then hide me from the shower, a short sojourn neath ivied oak, and mutter to the storm, wishing its melody belonged to me, 
that I might breathe a living song to thee. Then, in the first part of his poem, November, William Cullen Bryant describes it like this. Yet one smile more, departing distant sun, one mellow smile through the soft vapoury air, ere o'er the frozen earth the loud winds ran, or snows are sifted o'er the meadows bare, one smile on the brown hills and naked trees. Such a sense of passion in the first poem, and loss in the second, both described with much affection. It strikes me there's a romance to it, and that the same wistful poems might not have been written in a country where it is always sunny. And as with all loss, it needs a time to stop and recognise it, feel and explore it. And maybe that's what November is here for. I suppose one glance at nature in November and you could be forgiven for assuming that everything is dying. Of course, there's a lot of amazing autumnity plants and winter bloomers that pop through, but overall things are retreating. In her poem November, Alice Carey puts it this way. The leaves are fading and falling. The winds are rough and wild. The birds have ceased their calling. But let me tell you, my child, though day by day as it closes, doth darker and colder grow, the roots of the bright red roses will keep alive in the snow. Plants retreat to strengthen under the soil instead of above. And humans do the same. We're found indoors a lot more in November. Again, apologies for the Northern Hemisphere bias here. We become more reflective, and it's as if the darker mornings and nights allow us time for this. We look back at the year and tie up loose ends before the craziness of December arrives, which sweeps us out of this year and into the next. In Ruby Archer's poem November, she wrote, Our twilight month November is, the evening of the year, the brilliant summer noontide left, a pallor soft and clear. And that made me think, Yes, November does feel like the evening of the year. And what do we do in the evening? Evenings are a time for stopping, reflecting back on our day, preparing for the night ahead and slowing down. If you have children, it's a time when the bedtime routine kicks in. I've watched enough Super Nannies to know the first thing she does with almost any family is establish a good bedtime routine for the sake of all in the house. It only takes one basic Google search to find research that shows the benefits of a routine before bed helps children sleep earlier, sleep quicker, sleep longer, wake less, enhance mood and emotional behaviour regulation, promotes cognitive development, language, emotional health, learning, helps them feel safer, secure, etc. The list goes on. And the benefit of a routine is that it happens every day. Anyone with children or animals will know that if you break those routines, you end up paying for it somewhere along the line. The same can be said of adults. We were never built to go from full speed to unconscious sleep quickly. The evenings are a time of progression that take us from one to the other. So maybe November is that time between the end of a busy summer and the start of a slower winter. As adults, we might not slow down with a bubble bath and a story before bed, although I do know a lot of women that do that, but we all know the benefits of taking time out to allow our brain and body to slowly relax and switch off before we go to bed. Interestingly, the tips for adults to sleep better and with less vivid dreams is similar to what is recommended for children. A routine before bed that is meditative or relaxing. It's an important time of transition. And this November, I find myself, sort of unplanned really, having a month of change and switch off. But as I type this, I realise I've also booked some time to seek out that passionate weather I was talking about as well. A few months ago, we watched The Hundred Foot Wave, a documentary where big wave surfer Garrett McNamara journeyed to Nazaré in Portugal 
to conquer the sought-after 100-foot wave, which is the equivalent of an eight-storey building to give you some context on this thing. And it occurs courtesy of Europe's largest underwater canyon. Anyway, we loved the programme and I've always been fascinated by the majesty of big waves. We saw a few in Iceland, although I lost the pictures. See episode 53 for more on that. But nothing on this scale. So we decided at some point we'd go to Nazare to see if we could time it to see some of these giant waves. The best time for them is between October and February, so we booked five days there in November. The weather might be like a mill pond, it might be like a storm. You have to kind of go and take your chance, but I'm very hopeful to see some, and I promise I'll be posting them on social media if I do. Also, while I'm there, I'm going to take photos from one spot that I find and use them on my new Instagram Get Out of the House account. For those not aware, I set up a new account to get me out of the house during the day and away from the computer. So I walk to the same spot, marked by a small square stone that I take another five minutes to find every time, take a photo of a tree in the view beyond, and post it on Instagram. And that's my motivation to get out, and it's working. Same pick, different day. If you want to follow me and the changes over the seasons, you can check out that on Instagram, a view observed. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. I'm envisioning, 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 I'm envisioning, (laughs) I'm envisioning some very wet and windy trips out of the house over the coming months. In Ellen P. Alterton's November Rain poem, she said, November rain, November rain, fitfully beating the window pane, creeping in pools across the street, clinging in slush to dainty feet, shrouding in black the sun at noon, wrapping a pool around the moon. And I'm hoping for a snow photo one day over winter too. Anyway, so I've decided when I'm away from home, if I'm in the same place for more than three days, I'm going to post a picture from there too. Anywho, because we're going away in November, I decided that as I've put out the podcast every single week for over a year now, it was time to take a break and focus on some of my writing and just final tweaking my novel so I can get that sorted. So I'm taking a week off either side of our trip to do that as well. There's a short podcast episode going out on Tuesday to explain it a bit further. It was originally planned in October, but when the Queen died, everything got pushed back so that we could cover that. And so, without it being fully intentional, November for me is turning out to be a switch-off month, with some passionate weather thrown in, hopefully. Which sort of sums up what I've been exploring in this blog. It's almost like it was all planned out. I'm warming to November, but it doesn't help that with all the negative things I've said against it, it became an underdog. And I'm hopeless at resisting an underdog. And somehow it tricked us into going away in November for the first time ever, to see giant waves which I love, and to have time writing which I also love. And Google must be in on it because it threw at me beautiful poetry describing November's passion and honest facing of loss. So I find myself in danger of loving the month that I'd berated as it passionately blows its way into my heart. Well played, November. Well played. So, as November is winning me over... The sadness and gloom that I projected onto it is dissolving for me amidst all the passion and poetry which hints at hope, joy and intrigue about the month. The Wuthering Heights type weather, the strength in its convictions of what it is, the time of transition, the loss that it embraces and doesn't hide from. It's not a month that gives you expectations only to let you down. It generally is what it is and if anything has the power to delight you instead with unexpected sun, blue sky or even snow. Maybe it's so confident because it knows whatever it does to us. The tail end of it will be covered in Christmas lights, mince pies, Christmas trees and things that draw people into December. Maybe that's why it swirls in anger, because it only gets the middle of the month to announce its presence and be seen. 
The start and end are snatched away by the months either side, as the shadow of Halloween blinds us from taking a moment to welcome it, and Christmas rushes us into December without even pausing to wave it farewell. Just as the evening can be missed as we rush from the busy day into bed, November can get lost between the autumn beauty and the Christmas lights, despised because it falls between the two with merely its grey skies and wet pavements. Maybe that's why the weather is passionate, why it doesn't hide from loss, why it unapologetically makes us stop and face it, makes us stop and reflect, makes us stop and note the power of nature through the wind and the waves, as it clears away the leaves and helps strip the trees, as it waters the ground that so needs it and washes the dirt away. I feel like I'm writing a poem and asking November to stay. Ugh, this tricksy month almost had me writing poetry. Curious. The next blog that I'm going to be putting out will be the season of December, and we'll see how November has treated me when I look back on it. Will I calmly stroll into December, refreshed from the November evening lull, or will passionate November toss me around and spit me into December feeling dazed and unprepared for Christmas? Who knows? I feel like I'm going on a first date with November this year, seeing it for the first time, and just waiting to see if I'll love it or if we'll part ways with a big storm. Either way, I know I've found a new appreciation for this month, and I hope you have too, and I'll definitely be back to let you know. I'm finishing with a poem by Mary B.C. Slade called A November Day. And if this doesn't warm you to November, nothing will. I come, a sad November day, grey-clad from foot to head, a few late leaves of yellow birch, a few of maple red, and should you look, you might descry some wee ferns hiding low, or late-fall dandelions shy where cold winds cannot blow. And then, you see, I'm not all grey. A little golden light shines on a sad November day, a promise for the night. For though grey-clad in soft grey mist, floating on grey-cloud wing, I know that I the way prepare for brightest days of spring. And though witch hazel's golden flowers are all the blooms I know, they promise, so do I, the hours when sweetest Mayflowers grow.